Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The question is whether we've become a bailout nation. And when you hear Ken Griffin's comments about he's, he's watching capitalism dissolve effectively in front of his eyes. Uh, you know, we did it after 9-11. Uh, we bailed out everybody after 2008. Uh, the pandemic happens. We bail out the airline, the airlines and everybody else uh, here. Now we're bailing out. The, like at some point, should should we not do that? And if we are going to do that, does that change the dynamic with which we think about taxing Americans? Uh, should is, should taxes be considered a form of effectively insurance uh, for, for everybody? I mean, how should we think about this? Some brutally honest questions from Ross Sorkin over at CNBC. Not always my guy, but he hits that one right. Because Silicon Valley Bank is looking more and more like a bailout. I know I've gotten emails from people who disagree with me. Sorry. Start staring at what's going on here. Start asking yourself, why are we making people whole who had more than $250,000 in accounts if insurance only gives you $250,000? Isn't it up to them to understand where they're putting their money? Isn't the risk theirs if they were an investor in the bank? Well, investors may not be made whole. There's a difference between the two. I don't believe that they won't. Story after story, acknowledgement after acknowledgement, the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, Biden's bank bailout whoppers. The president offers assurances that markets don't believe. That doesn't mean he shouldn't have made the assurances. He should absolutely be saying, your money is safe. He should be doing those things to try and prevent a run on banks. I don't hold that against the man. I think it's one of the few things that he has done that actually makes sense. But he has made statements regarding what's going on with these banks, regarding how people are going to be made whole, that will... that aren't a, a hint they are clear very very clear that this is indeed a bailout even though you have corinne jean pierre Republicans are saying this is a bailout is that how would you no, respond this is not to that? a bailout again yeah, this is not 2008 at all the funds uh the funds uh, are from fees on banks and not taxpayers so this is very different than what we saw in 2008 not so sure you get to say that tony katz Tony Katz today, good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, that's the number. 833-468-8669. That's how you get to be a part of what it is that we're doing over here. Biden was clear in his statements that they are going to do whatever they can And they have absolutely no plan of stopping. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed on top of all this. Whatever is needed means bailouts. You can argue with me if you want, but it's what it means. So why are we pretending something doesn't mean what it means? It means what it means. Now, 
Should Silicon Valley Bank get any level of recompense from the federal government, which means from us? Well, Silicon Valley Bank did a very poor job in its own management of its assets. They were not moving along with the times, especially when it comes to the bonds that they held, right? They've got these depositors. They've got this money coming in. They're buying assets that they can then sell. They need to make the depositors hold these bonds, etc. But they were paying out over 5.8%. And not bringing in 5.8%, which means they were in an untenable situation, which none of their own regulators caught, discussed, worked to fix, and certainly no federal regulators caught, discussed, worked to fix. What we're seeing right now is that this was known at least by Silicon Valley Bank by their officials, where you had the CEO and others selling $4.4 million worth of stock a couple of weeks ago, you had institutional investors saying, wait a second, this is a problem. Then you had the stock last Thursday sliding 60%, 60%. Then the stock continued to slide on Friday when trading was halted and the bank was taken over. And you had three days of people who had deposits in that bank, who utilized that bank through other services, like, for example, Etsy, not knowing what was going to happen to them. That must have been a very unfun three days. Then you learn that people with large-scale dollars in the bank are going to be made whole, and you wonder why that is. Well, they didn't do anything wrong. Well, if you were an investor in the bank, maybe you did something wrong. Maybe you were putting your money there and you never actually checked. Maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe if the insurance doesn't cover you and we're covering you, maybe you did something wrong. And considering that no one from the bank is going to go to jail, well, then who actually is held responsible? Which brings us back to this conversation that was being had by Ross Sorkin on CNBC. Have we become bailout nation? That's the question. Because what we are engaged in is not allowing things to fail, not holding people responsible, but saying, whatever. Oh, that happened. Don't worry. We'll take care of it. Representative Maxine Waters, of all people, talking with Joy Reid. So you have this bank that was a go-to bank that was uh, supporting all of these startups, et cetera. And I don't know how they may miss looking at their balance sheets uh, to see what was going on. And, of course, when they actually understood, I suppose, what was going on, it was too late uh, to borrow money. It was too late to sell securities. And so here we had a bank that collapsed. And in that collapse, it forced this government to have to come to grips. We had a real problem, and we had to do something fast. We should be, the government should be complimented in the way that they put together protecting the depositors, both those that are insured, those that were not insured. They should be applauded for propping up Silicon Valley Bank, which would be really interesting if it was called the East Palestine Valley Bank. Was it propped up because it was Silicon Valley? Because it was startups? Because all those people are donors? Now you say to me, whoa, cats, you're getting a little conspiratorial. Think of the speed by which this was done. 
you're proudly saying that you took care of the accounts that were insured and not insured. Well, then what the hell is the point of the insurance? What's the point of any of it? Well, we had to. We had to bail it out. We had to keep everybody uh, calm. Otherwise, what would have happened is you would have had a run on the banks. Eh, maybe. Or maybe not. I mean, if you take a look at the stock price of First Republic Bank, it was a regional, it's a regional bank. It got snot kicked out of it. On Monday, it's, it's back up today. People will ask questions. It will take t- things a little bit for people uh, to calm down, for things to calm down. It doesn't excuse Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona, as described by Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky, who asked if there was any uh, protocols in place to stop discussion of this on social media to prevent a run on the banks. That's right. A bank collapses, so the First Amendment has to be suspended. That's where the authoritarian political left went on this. That's a true story, by the way. Now, we should be clear that the banks are indeed stable. There is nothing that I have read or seen that shows me otherwise. That doesn't mean something can't happen tomorrow. I mean, there are there are banks that fail. People have taken note. 16 banks failed under Donald Trump's presidency. So for a year. And people, I, I, someone had emailed me as well. It's common. It happens four times a year. That's not common. Four banks out of all the banks? It's pretty rare if you ask me. I think that'd be the definition of rare. But if you want to argue it's common, knock yourself out. Call it common. 16 banks failed under uh, Donald Trump. Okay, 16 banks failed under Donald Trump. Were those banks banks that gave out faulty loans and therefore suffered the consequences? And did we make whole people who were investors in the bank or just depositors of the bank? Were these things caught within the hours or days after the first instance happening? Or were the regulators never ever, um, never found anything, the bank uh, w- was doomed, and well, no one, not, nothing happened to the regulators, because you won't see me be okay with that either. There is a tremendous amount of acceptance in what's been going on here. A tremendous amount of acceptance. Oh, this happened. Oh, that's all right. Oh, we, we, we made everybody whole. I don't know if we should be making everybody whole. But we should note that banks sometimes do fail. And the entire system doesn't collapse. And I don't believe it would have collapsed from here. What people did concern themselves with is the concept of contagion meaning that this bank dealt with startups and other tech companies, and if they weren't able to make payroll, then X, then Y, and then you have failures all the way across the board. And the answer is, yeah, and so, the idea that one bank is too big to fail and another bank isn't is not a rational position for the government to take. I'm going to say it again. Saying that one bank is too big to fail and another one isn't is not 
a rational position for the government to take. When it does that, it is selecting winners and losers. We should be opposed to this because when they select winners and losers, they engage investments in Solyndra. Is that the same kind of thing that we're seeing with the response to Silicon Valley Bank? Or is the the cascading effect, the contagion, so potentially severe that this is the smart, practical, rational move? And indeed, we're making the argument as a nation, not only is there something too big to fail, but we don't allow bailouts to happen at all. We have put an end to the concept of risk. That bothers me. Risk matters. Risk is how people grow and how people build. Risk, and when we talk about capitalism, matters greatly. And part of mitigating risk is making sure one does their due diligence. Roger Altman spoke about this on CNN. And I thought he was excellent in his argument talking about what this means, the the level of profound of this move from the federal government to relieve uh, Silicon Valley Bank of its responsibilities. See something and think it's a catastrophe. Another person sees the same thing and thinks it's a small accident. Um, But the main point here is that the rescues of 2008 and 2009, which we all remember so vividly, became ferociously unpopular. I mean, one of the most unpopular things that the federal government has done in 50 or 100 years. Many people think they led to, uh, you know, the growth of the Tea Party and the, the, uh, the growth of the MAGA movement and so forth. Um, and therefore, the administration today doesn't want to get within 100 miles of that term bailout. Now, uh, what... The reg- what the authorities did over the weekend was absolutely profound. They guaranteed the deposits, all of them, at Silicon Valley Bank. And what that really means, uh, and they won't say this, and I'll come back to that, what that really means is that they have guaranteed the entire deposit base of the U.S. financial system, the entire deposit base. Why? Because you can't guarantee all the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank, and then the next day, say to depositors, say at First Republic, sorry, yours aren't guaranteed, of course. Now, I tend to agree with the man. If you're saying you're doing this, this is now what you do. Goes back to Ross Sorkin's point, are we now bailout nation? And the answer clearly seems to be yes, except I can't confirm that. If Silicon Valley Bank was East Palestine, Ohio Valley Bank, I don't know if they would get bailed out. Which brings us back to, is it because it's Silicon Valley? Is it because it's where the startups go? Is where the people who invest in the startups donate to this campaign, that campaign, and the other campaign? Why? I can't ask that very valid question. My fear is that we've become bailout nation. My bigger fear 
is that we are specific bailout nation. All the banks are equal, but some are more equal than others. That one will keep you up at night. We're going to keep watching what's happening. This is Tony Katz today. Now rumor has it she ain't got your love anymore. Rumor has it. The rumor mill is doing rumor mill things. And the rumor mill is that Kamala Harris won't speak to Elizabeth Warren. And that's fine by me because I won't speak to either one of them. I mean, if I got the chance to do the interview, I would totally do it. And it would be very, very focused. Kamala Harris, according to the reports. Me, I'm Tony Katz, by the way. Tony Katz today. What's going on? How you doing, Boo Bear? You doing all right? You look good. You losing weight? Love it. Love the hair. Love the outfit. Love the everything. My God, you're a sexy son of a gun. Kamala Harris, she's the vice president of the United States. You've seen pictures. Um, uh, she is, uh, having nothing to do with Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren seems to have, uh, twice apologized for not giving her an endorsement as President Biden's 2024 running mate. (laughs) Seems that. Warren gave an interview to a radio station in Boston in January where she backed Biden for re-election, but wasn't so enthusiastic when asked if Harris should be the number two. Saying, I really want to defer what makes Biden comfortable to what makes Biden comfortable on his team. And Harris's office thought that was pretty insulting. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I get that they could say that, but you know. That that's politics in general. Sometimes it can get pretty insulting. I think what's more insulting is when people like The View and others say, "Oh, they just go after a Kamala Harris because she's black." You you know it's only because uh, she she she's black. I mean, they had a whole fight about it that Kamala Harris doesn't get a fair shake because she's a black woman. You can believe that if you want. You go right ahead. But if that's going to be the talking point, we're never going to be able to have honest conversations about the vice president, which is, of course, the whole point. We shared a story yesterday about um, this woman at a community college in California. She's part of the DEI team. She's a black woman. And she was asking, well, wait. When, when you all talk about anti-racism, what do you mean? The pushback on her for asking a question was so severe she got fired. She's a black woman part of the DEI team who got fired for asking a question to make sure she understood definitions. There will be no questioning. You will simply say these words, agree with them, and do what you're told. Freedom is slavery. War is peace. Dear Lord, Orwell knew what he was doing. You can't even ask a question. That's precious. Precious, I tell you. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So pull me closer. Why don't you pull me close? Why don't you come on over? 
White House seems to be okay with drilling. And I know that that's very confusing because this is the most progressive White House since FDR. As a matter of fact, this White House would make FDR go, oh, that's how it's done. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. The Willow Project is about allowing oil drilling in Alaska. It's a project that has been a 30-year effort by ConocoPhillips to engage this drilling in northwestern Alaska. The question is, why now? The question is, how the White House? The question is, does this actually bring a value to American safety and security? And what about those super angry progressives? And oh, they are super, super angry. James Taylor joins us right now. Uh, James is with the Heartland Institute. He is actually the president of the Heartland Institute. Find everything at heartland.org. And they discuss these issues of green, not from its political ideological perspective, from but from a factual perspective. What is it that people are discussing when they talk about green energy, green this, green that, when they talk about the environment, and what is the real data versus what we're told is the data? James Taylor joins us right now. Let's start with a primer, James. What is the Willow Project, and what is the Heartland Institute's take on it? All right. Well, first, Tony, it is a pleasure to be on your show again, my friend. Uh, what is the Willow Project? Well, this is something where the media is selling us a bill of goods. They want us to believe that Joe Biden is standing up to the progressive left. And people are asking, why is he doing this now? Why, is he, why didn't he do this the first two years of his term? Well, the reason why the PR is out on this, saying that he's standing up to the left, is because we're starting to get towards the 2024 election season, and he wants people to forget what an absolute, complete leftist he's been. But even that narrative about him standing up to the left is false. It's not what the facts are. The Willow Project is a small area within the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska. The National Petroleum Reserve was set up specifically to produce petroleum. Why was it set up that way? Because there is such prodigious amounts of oil in the reserve. Because it's in the Arctic tundra, the flat, barren Arctic tundra, with little impact on anything else. It comprises less than 10% of the state of Alaska. And the Willow Project is just a few percent of that 10%. Now, what's going on here? Basically, it's this. Joe Biden has said he was approving three out of the five proposed sites within the Willow Project in which ConocoPhillips wants to drill for oil. And at the same time, now you don't hear that in the media. They say he approved this massive oil producing project. No, he killed 40% of the proposal. And at the same time, he killed wholesale another proposal adjacent to Willow. This is the equivalent of if you go out, let's say you go out to dinner with your family. You come home and you find some juvenile delinquent throwing rocks through your window. He smashed four of your 10 windows, and then you come home and catch him. And then he says, well, look, I'm not such a bad guy. I left six of your windows untouched. Yeah, because he got caught. And then on his way out of the neighborhood, he goes and smashes all of your neighbor's windows. And he says, well, look, I'm still a pretty good guy. I left six of your windows untouched. That's what's going on here. Joe Biden is shutting down a massive amount of proposed oil production, which would have a real difference on gasoline prices in this country, which would have a real difference on America's ability to supply our friends and allies in need in Europe, in Eastern Europe, throughout Central America with oil. And instead, 
He does a little bit. He carves out a little bit of production that can still remain while getting rid of most of it. And then the media goes out and says he's a hero. And AOC and her buddies, they're piling on with a window dressing so that, again, they're helping out Joe Biden. Oh, he's standing up to us. Oh, this terrible Joe Biden. Let's take a step back. What he has been no friend, no ally of oil production or American energy production. Let me take a step back now because your argument is actually that he is doing more to harm energy security in the United States than help energy security in the United in the United States. And even though this might be helpful, I think they see 600 million barrels over the course of, of its lifetime, I think the number is. In the main, we're still no better off. We're still well behind the eight ball because of Biden administration policies. Absolutely. He is doing much more to kill oil production in this action of his than he is to assist it. If Joe Biden would simply allow in the National Petroleum Reserve, which Congress set up specifically for the production of oil, if he would simply allow the projects that have been proposed, we would see substantially more oil production, multitudes more oil production than what is going to be allowed. We would see probably five to 10 cents reduction in the price of gasoline and America's dependence on Russia, on Saudi Arabia, on Venezuela, on Iran for oil would would be reduced significantly. Talking to James Taylor, he is the president of the Heartland Institute, Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, heartland.org. And this move, this this thing called the, the, the Willow Project, this isn't specific to one project. That's what the area, the region where this drilling is allowed is called, correct? Correct. Okay, it's important because you're right. When I first read this, I'm like, how fascinating. There was an interesting article over at National Review from Jim Garrity about why is this White House not as progressive as it was? And it was a conversation of is Jeff Zients uh, or Zients, the, the new chief of staff, just that much different than the former chief of staff, staff Ron Klain? Your argument is this is a window dressing story. If that's the case, why is the political left in such an outrage? about it yeah and it's purely politics you know this is the same argument if under joe biden when he takes office and inflation's under two percent in his first year inflation goes up eight percent because of his policies in the second year inflation goes up six percent and he says oh inflation's down it's down from eight percent to six percent this is the same type of rationale that they're putting forward and this is basically the mainstream media is going to run with whatever messaging the White House tells them to run with. And the messaging here is because he knows there's an election next year. Hey, look, I'm actually a moderate. I'm the common sense moderate in the room. I'm triangulating Bill Clinton's old term and strategy. In reality, it's not like that at all. And people need to look into the facts to see what is exactly going on. He's shutting down much more oil production in the National Petroleum Reserve that's set up for oil production. He's shutting down much more than he's allowing. One other point that's also worth noting, back in the day when the environmental activists and their political allies would oppose and shut down other production products, oil production, or in Alaska, there was the pebble mine a decade ago that would have, been, would have made a substantial difference on our copper uh, deposits, on other sorts, on other uh, minerals that we need in this country, but was shut down. They at least went through the motions of inventing some far-fetched 
environmental re- uh, reason that had something to do with the actual environment. It really had little basis in reality, but they would say regarding the pebble mine that was proposed in Alaska, well, there's a stream that flows through the mining site, and that stream 200-some-odd miles later empties just a tiny fraction of the water into Bristol Bay, and salmon fishing is important there, so we can't do this to save the salmon. It was a nonsensical argument, but at least it was an argument that had something to do with the environment as nonsensical as it was. Now they're not even trying this argument for the National Petroleum Reserve. The only thing they say is climate change, climate change, as if if we don't produce this oil, then people just won't buy oil or use oil anymore, as if Russia, Iran, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia aren't going to produce the oil that people will buy anyway. This is economic self-mutilation. And the only justification they give is this amorphous concept of climate change. They don't even bother to try to make any stupid arguments about salmon or anything else because they don't even need to anymore. The media is in the bag for for the climate crazies. You have over at Heartland.org a a piece under Environment and Energy by Ronald Ronald Stein. And it reads, American suppression of fossil fuels courts a national security disaster. That's where you started to head down the road, because when you take a look at what Germany was doing, giving up nuclear to depend on Russia, you take a look at Europe as a whole and their dependence on Russia, which had to come to an end because of Russia's invasion into Ukraine, you realize exactly on what level of precipice these nations do indeed exist. The United States is not Russia. The United States has opportunities. How are we not learning from this as a nation and saying what more can we do in a rational way to to make sure that we are energy secure? Absolutely. And when you look at Russia, for example, with their military machine, how did they get the money to buy all those tanks? How do they get the money for their military machine? It's largely because they have been selling oil to Western Europe and the rest of the world. Because we in the United States, due to our government's policies, not due to the lack of oil, we have more oil than Russia, we have more oil than Saudi Arabia, but we've made a political decision to not produce it. That's what enables nations like Russia to become strong, to flex, to have military muscle to flex, and then for the rest of the world to fear crossing Russia and siding with Russia against the United States when we have diverging interests because they don't want their oil cut off. At the same time, the Biden administration, as they talk about climate change, as if this would have any impact on climate change, their solution is to have the entire American economy, as well as the global economy, dependent upon China and its rare earth minerals and its production of wind and solar power equipment. This is absolute ridiculous policy. And again, this, is, this has nothing to do with the environment, nothing whatsoever. Talking to James Taylor, president of the Heartland Institute, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, heartland.org. The the issues in Europe would have been further exacerbated by a cold winter. That cold winter did not come because there is nobody who is not within the space who did not discuss the fact that if the winter is as cold as it has been, things are going to get very ugly for Europeans, whether it be Germany or other places, in being able to stay warm. How has this changed how they view their own power when and when you take a look at the fact that they're not going to be taking that uh, energy from Russia anymore, and they also decided specifically in Germany to give up on nuclear power. Uh, and the follow-up is, uh, shouldn't we have nuclear power here in the U.S.? 
Well, that certainly should be one of the options on the table that are that makes much more sense than wind and solar power. Look, we have enough oil, coal, natural gas to power our economy, more than enough to power our economy and to export to the rest of the world. Oil, coal, natural gas, those are the least expensive and most abundant forms of energy. That's what, if government just got out of the economy's business, that's what our economy would largely be running on. Nuclear power is a little more expensive than those, not nearly as expensive as wind and solar power. It is zero carbon dioxide emissions. It's zero emissions of any sort. And at the same time, it is available on demand. It is much more reliable. This is something that we don't have to rely upon Chinese parts and the minerals and the rare earth elements from other nations, mostly being processed in China for. Nuclear power, people talk about, oh, but it's horrible, nuclear power for the environment and the risk of a, of a catastrophe. If you recall in Fukushima, Japan, when you had the nuclear power plant there that was subject to, first of all, a 9.1 earthquake, something nobody here in the United States has experienced any time in our lifetime. And that earthquake had occurred just offshore from Fukushima. At the same time, it created a tsunami that just laid waste to the entire area. How many people died as a result of that nuclear power plant being subjected to and smashed by those two events? The answer is zero. How many people had to go to the hospital with serious radiation issues? The answer is zero. So yes, nuclear power is a much better option than wind and solar. It's safer, it's more abundant, it's more reliable, it's available on demand, and it's much less expensive, and it's American-made. When we come back to the conversation about America before I let you go and this conversation about the Willow Project, we're still glad this is going on. We're still glad that we're going to be able to maybe get a little bit further uh, in into the area of energy security in the United States. I, just, I refer to it as energy security as opposed to energy independence or as former President Trump referred to it as energy uh, dominance. Um, but... Is, is is there anything in this, you know, as you talk about it politically, is there anything in this that can be utilized in a, well, if you're going to do this, Mr. President, here's something that would be even better for us. Is there any opening that you see, or is this, as you described it, nothing more than a shell game, and we are still so far behind the eight ball, it, you can't even begin to catch up? This is a star. This is a man with a loaf of bread. There's a starving man begging for some food. He munches on half the loaf, he throws you a crumb, throws the rest in the trash, and wants you to say, oh, thank you for giving us a crumb. That's what's going on here. We should be allowed to produce oil in the National Petroleum Reserve that's set up specifically for this purpose without President Biden knocking 40% off the production of the Willow Project and then negating an entire uh, additional project right next door, taking it entirely off the books. This is doing nothing for the American economy. It's doing nothing for our energy sector. James Taylor, president of the Heartland Institute, heartland.org. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I've got more to get to, guys. I'm Tony Katz. We start with news on the economy. Breaking news. Inflation rose in February but was in line with expectations. The consumer price index increased 0.4% for the month, putting the annual inflation rate at 6%. That's uh, that's pretty much where we thought it was going to be, Joe. I mean, not great, not bad, but let's see how the Fed responds, right? Right, yeah, yeah, and you're right, Caddy. This is about bad. where we thought it was going to be. There was some concern on Wall Street this morning that if it came in at too hot, you combine that news with what happened over the past weekend, it could be pretty rough for the markets. Not but- bad. Inflation 6%. We're like, woohoo! 
Yeah, yeah! We're doing great, people! Pour some bourbon! Bring on the ladies to do their sexy dances! We are in a beautiful spot! Good lord. By the way, there was a moment the market was over 400. I mean, it's it's the weirdest thing in the world. You are seeing a rebound of the regional banks because First Republic, because of the, uh, as we were talking of, about Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic Bank got punched in the face in terms of share price. And it was it was much more about reaction than it was about specifically First Republic Bank and anything they had done wrong. And now those shares are back up. And I certainly hope they don't have a- any problems or any issues. But man, it's super weird. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. I forgot to say hello, I'm sorry. When you see the markets like just jump up and react like this based on inflation sucking, are, are we not going to admit that inflation is is awful? That the consumer price index for all uh, urban consumers, as they report it, rose 0.4% after increasing 0.5%. In January, over the last 12 months, all items indexed increased 6% before seasonal adjustment. These aren't great numbers. Why are we treating them like they're great numbers? Maybe, you know, as we often discuss with the markets, they'll they'll look for anything. They're not based in the real world. They They don't live on Midwest Main Street. They live in their own little bit of fantasy. This is not a fantasy. Just so we're all perfectly, perfectly clear. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today.